This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Happy Easter to you where you were coming up on uh, the octave, the the eighth day of Easter. Tomorrow we're going to celebrate it. If you have gone to daily mass, you should have experienced the fullness of Easter all week long. Uh, I went earlier this week and uh, on a Tuesday, we still had the incense. We still had a chanted mass. It was lovely. And that's the joy of this Easter festivity. Uh, Of course, Easter goes on for 50 days, but we're experiencing it in a particular way here during the octave. And, And so I hope that you've had the opportunity to, to go to one of those daily masses. If you didn't this year, make sure you make plans next year to participate in some way in some feasting or festivity in this extended Easter feast. Because we spent 40 days fasting and going through uh, uh, this time of penance and, and difficulty. But those 40 days lead to a greater celebration. There's a greater celebration at the end of that penance as we're brought into the fullness of that Paschal mystery. So um, if you didn't make it through the octave, if you didn't do extra uh, desserts or extra something with the kids, now's the time to, to plan out the next, uh, what, 42 days? We have time. Easter's still going. Let's make sure that we celebrate it with full festivity. Now, let's talk about this in a different light because we're focusing right now on the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, and then our participation in it, even as we go through the readings uh, in Mass. And so let's look at all of the different ways, or or rather one particular way, that we participate in the resurrection. Our conversation today is with Noreen Madden McGinnis. She is uh, the Director of Liturgy and Spirituality for the Diocese of San Diego. She has a new book on New City Press called Keep at it, Riley, accompanying my father through death into life. It's the second book in the Magenta series. Uh, The Magenta series is aimed at upholding the dignity of the human person and entering into dialogue that breaks up the divisiveness, that brings us into a a sense of agreement and unity in those places that we can, into ironic conversation. Uh, The series editor of that's Dr. Charlie Camosi. We've had him on the show a couple of times Uh, And I'm really looking forward to this conversation today about looking at death and approaching death in light of our belief in the resurrection. So Noreen, thank you again for joining us today. So glad to have you here. Oh, TL, thank you for inviting me to come on. It's good to be with you. This book, Noreen, has been described as a wonderful piece of practical theology where you infuse your real-life experiences into the narrative of sacramental theology and integrating your academic studies with your personal faith. And this is a balance that sometimes can be tricky to to manage. Uh, A lot of times we like to live either in the theoretical or the practical, but trying to put those together in a way that's accessible is quite a feat, and you've done it here. Right. We we live this, uh, the the resurrection, in in a big way over, over Easter, you know, in through we as we celebrate the Triduum, the suffering, death, and resurrection of our Lord. But we actually celebrate it every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Easter is just a big Sunday. We celebrate that Paschal mystery at every Mass. And so, and in participating in that celebration, we ourselves, we offer ourselves as sacrifice as well. 
But TL, it's a taboo topic, isn't it? It is. Death is a taboo topic. Not very many people are are comfortable with it. But I, I, I hope that uh, in sharing this story, people will become more comfortable and see the joy that we have and the gift from our Lord and our salvation that we will also rise to from the death with Him to be with the Lord and. Heaven, so. Well, and the, the saints give us this exhortation as well, starting all the way with with Paul, who's who tells us to live as Christ and to die as gain, with uh, with Saint Irenaeus, who really kind of begged the people to let him go and face his death, uh, with with uh, Saint Francis of Assisi, who did everything within his power almost uh, to go and face martyrdom, uh, one that never came to him, but there was this looking forward, not to death in a macabre way, but this realization that we are bound for an Easter after a life of penance, right? We're bound for this participation in the resurrection in a very particular way. Uh, and and there is a, a balance to be held that we're not doing this in a macabre way or in, in any kind of distress or depression, but rather we're approaching this with the joy of what is set before us. Uh, and you mentioned that it's a taboo topic here. I really see that, uh, and I don't, I can't pinpoint exactly when it began to be the case, but we don't like anything that feels like inconvenience or anything that feels like suffering. And we just think that if I don't look at it, if I push it over in the corner, if I, uh, if I don't set my eyes on it, then it's not real and I don't have to face it until inevitably the time comes that we have to face it. Right. But, you know, as Christians, we, we become Christians through our baptism. And in baptism, we we die with Christ and rise to new life with, with Christ. So we all are, we have already died as if you have that full immersion baptism that is such a profound reality that as, as we're under the water, that is like, it's this obvious drowning, drowning and rising to new life. <clears throat> and that we prepare ourselves as Christians to be always journeying to the heavenly kingdom. That's our our our, our path as Christians, that we we up rise up from the baptismal waters and head towards the Eucharistic table, the the banquet of the um, the foretaste of the heavenly kingdom where we will rejoice in heaven with the, all the saints and, and all those that have gone before us. So that's our journey as, as Christians. So we really take on that baptismal promise of salvation and rising to new life with Christ. It shouldn't be a taboo topic mm-hmm. at all. But I, I have to say the Irish have a we can have a bit of a different take on this. You know, they say, what's the difference between an Irish wake and an Irish wedding? Oh, this is one less at the party, you know? Because <laughs> <laughs> we, we have, uh, I think the Irish aren't afraid of that topic as much because of the history of, of the, the Irish um, suffering through the famine and, mm-hmm. and coming across and coffin ships and trying to... Uh, to scrape a new life here in America. So I think death is such a part of their life that 
they turn themselves over and emptying of themselves to the Lord in a, in a way and uh, hold their uh, faith very close. And they're able to embrace that a little bit closer without as much fear. Yeah. We're talking today with Noreen Madam McGinnis. The book is Keep at it, Riley, Accompanying My Father Through Death into Life. It's available on New City Press. And the title just lays it out there for us. This is a personal story, Accompanying My Father Through Death into Life, as you uh, had the opportunity to walk with your father through his final days. And so this is no longer merely uh, a, a theoretical theology and belief, but we come face-to-face to the resurrection in moments like these. So share with us that process. Yeah, so, you know what, so participating at Mass, we go through that ritual of of, of trusting in the Lord. And, um, but still when, when uh, the rubber hits the road, when we have a loved one that is suffering from illness, that's when we are, are called, we are called to be Christ for them. Just as that was Christ's ministry on earth is to reach out to the sick and to um, to heal them and comfort them and bring them back into the community uh, of of the faithful. So we, like Jesus, don't shun from that, but we are we are called to reach out like Jesus to serve the sick and those that are are ostracized, and we. Um, we have to put our our faith in in action. We we uh, we 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 bring the hem of the garment to those that are sick, and we do that through the Eucharist, through uh, through our ministry to them. And so then, and in that, in a way, we go through our own death and resurrection because we need to die to ourself and our, our, our selfish needs. And we give ourselves over to the Lord to, to uh, witness and, and minister as Jesus did too. And then we find that in giving, we receive, and then in giving ourselves over that we rise to new life and see the joy in caring for those that are marginalized and ill. Mm-hmm. It hits differently when it is, someone who is very close to you, right? For us to go and maybe visit a, a nursing home or visit a hospital or make sick calls or, or be Eucharistic ministers and go and, and bring Christ in the Eucharist to, to those who are suffering and need it. That, that hits us in one way and, and one way of participating in that ministry of the church. But it's another thing entirely when it's someone who is dear to us, a, a sibling or a parent or a child. So talk to me a little bit about the experience you had, maybe even coming to realize that you were going to need to accompany your father through this process. And you were coming to terms with, with the reality of it being your parent that you were having to accompany. Well, there, you know, there's a complexity there, right? Because there's a history, you know, uh, with with parents and children and all this so but one of the interesting things is that it was my father that really didn't want to come to live in in my house when he he was uh he was desperate he was 
he was um, <clears throat> not able to walk. He wasn't able to care for himself, but he he was determined to get his strength back and move back in his home and be on his own. He always said, I never wanted to be a burden on any of my children. And he was very stubborn about that, which is kind of a keep at it, Riley kind of statement where he's like, um, he, uh, he wanted to, to uh, stay strong and, and, and move on and get better without being a burden. And, you know, <laughs> you find that, um, a lot of the elderly and, and infirm, they are very determined to not be a burden on their children. But uh, so it was actually, in fact, that I needed to convince my father to come and, and live with me. And I'm just so grateful that he did. Because, you know, another interesting thing is that today they call it dignity uh, dying with dignity. Dying with dignity is just a, a misnomer. It's they call that when when someone uh, uh, uses uh, physician assisted suicide or assisted suicide. They call that dying with dignity. So that, and usually that you see the statistics that uh, for those that embrace that are are um, the reason they they choose that is so they're not a burden on their children. Mm -hmm. So I guess um, this story tells you what a blessing that my father was to me and my family to come and live with us. It was not a burden. He was, he was a tremendous blessing. So on my end, my decision, I, uh, I think that um, I had fear I, I, that I didn't have the medical expertise to care for him. I am actually one of those that was very squeamish always my whole life about illness. And, uh, and he, he needed a lot of care. I didn't know anything about that. Um, so there was that. And, and I had to get him from Pennsylvania, mountaintop Pennsylvania to San Diego, clear across the country right before Christmas. Mm -hmm. And the, his doctor was saying, no, it's against medical advice. I'm not releasing him. But there's my keep at it. Riley father said, oh, no, no, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm going. And so I had to rise above all my fears that I had for that I, I was going to harm him because I don't know what I'm doing. But I loved him so much that I didn't want him left without as much care and love and spiritual accompaniment as I could offer. So I had to really turn, empty myself of all my fears and turn myself over to the Lord and to just let go, let God walk us through this time. So, um, yeah, it was, it was difficult. You bring up a point here that we often feel unprepared and, and unqualified. And I want to sit on that for a moment because there is this move towards specialization in our culture that you have to be the best at something if you're going to pull it off. And we have kind of adopted that as our understanding of the way of life and, and in some ways abdicated opportunities and sometimes responsibilities to others because, oh, well, they're the experts and I'm not. Uh, so whether that be um, in some cases sending a, a parent 
to a care facility when that's not necessarily what's needed. Uh, Not because of necessarily medical necessity, but just a fear of, I don't think that I'm qualified and they are qualified. But in that, there's a care component, not not so much uh, the the ins and outs or, or the, the biology and the medicine, but there is a, a heart-to-heart care component that can sometimes be lost in the mix. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how in your uncertainty and in your unpreparedness and, and feeling unqualified, how did you manage? What were the things that you found that helped you feel more prepared when you had to make those difficult choices that might give someone else who feels unqualified some hope in making those similar choices? Well, TL, you really hit in the heart of it, really. Um, I, I would get up every day and just, um, uh, pray that God would lead my feet, guide my feet, Lord, guide my hands, guide my heart, open my mouth and guard it when it needs to be. And I would put on the breastplate of St. Patrick, Christ be with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ on my left, Christ on my right. So, and I would start the day with that. But then beyond that, I, um, I would uh, I always pray that that God would lead me even in particular situations. So at at one point, um, uh, my father needed a pick line. I don't know if you're familiar with that. This is something that goes in, in the, uh, in the arm and then goes directly to the heart to deliver medication right to the heart. Oh my goodness. I thought, uh, uh, I said, oh, I don't think I, I don't think I could do that. And they said, well, it has to be a, a registered nurse or a family member. I'm like, uh, okay, well, <laughs> family member. So I was very methodical. I just, um, I had someone teach me how to do it. I was very specific about writing down each step, and I would lay it out very carefully. And my father was so trusting of me. And so, but um, anyway, I would always say a little prayer before I started and, and I would get through it. And I, I really lost that squeamish feeling, to be honest. I, I, I didn't, I didn't have it. And then if, uh, when there were caregivers needed, so uh, we would have uh, caregivers givers come in, I was always so amazed at the most beautiful people they're like angels sent that were so selfless that were knowledgeable and they they were very good about training me and and caring for frank as well so i think that 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 was beautiful to be able to witness uh that kind of care the people that dedicate their lives to that but I, I do know that not, not everyone would be in a situation to be able to bring their loved one into the home or have care, caregivers come. And so I know we're not all in, in those type of situations. You know, every illness is different. Every home situation is different. So I think that's where we need to uh, open our eyes to others and be reach out in, you know, in parish communities and in and uh, to to accompany others that you know that need assistance and be uh, reach out. There's a program now um, in California 
uh, a whole person care that, that started with uh, the California Conference of Bishops that were developing programs within parishes to try to build up teams in a parish to accompany family members where they need assistance, whether it's medical or spiritual and all that. But, um, but as you, to get back to what you're saying about, it's not just medical care that they need. Honestly, I think the biggest benefit for my father being in our house was the spiritual care, you know, and the accompaniment, the being able to love him and, and be with him and, you know, just those quiet conversations about stories of the past. And I, every night uh, we would pray together. It was such a lovely time. He would just uh, turn things over to the Lord. He'd pray for all those he left behind in mountaintop and, um, and pray for all those and all those that are in hospitals and all those that care for him. Cause now he understood the difference between being in a hospital and being in a home. So it was very grateful for all that. So, and I was able to um, assist with administering the sacraments. I brought a Holy communion to him. And, um, and also we had anointing the sick for him, which was just a, reinforcement and 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 um renewal in our belief and in, in life after death that this we're that he was being he was preparing to go home to god that was his journey that helps us uh, be comforted with those sacraments and knowing that that was our as i said earlier that was from our baptism where we're headed yeah from. We're talking today with Noreen Madden-McGinnis. The new book is called Keep At It, Riley, Accompanying My Father Through Death Into Life. And you hit a couple of things that I want to look at individually, but I want to start with this. Um, The the book is Keep At It, Riley, but as you mentioned earlier, your dad's name is Frank. So give us, we're going to take just a moment to lighten the mood a little bit. Tell us the story of Keep At It, Riley, as opposed to his name. So keep at it, Riley, is what my grandfather said to my father, Frank, and it just really annoyed him, but it became his big blessing that carried him through all his life and passed on to his children and his grandchildren. So when when he was young, uh, he had one sister and the two of them be sent up to their bedrooms after dinner to do their homework and Uh, before bedtime, my grandfather would stop into my aunt's room and say, oh, how's it going, dear? How's the homework? She'd say, oh, I have a little more to do. And he'd say, oh, never mind. It's tomorrow's another day. Just uh, say your prayers and go to bed, turn off the light. Okay. So then he'd go into my father's room, the thin walls, he could hear all this happening. And He'd ask my father, "What's ha- what? How's your studies?" And expecting the same sort of compassion, he'd say, "I have a little more to do." And my father would just turn on his heel and spout over his shoulder, "Well, keep at it, Riley." <laughs> <laughs> and he did, and I, um, it just really became his mantra through mm-hmm. throughout. You see it through everything, and I tried to find. Um, where in our family history was there a Riley or what? Where did this come from? I found nothing. But even, but I, what I did find, as I was saying earlier, is that 
those, uh, we have our, our ancestors were in the famine in Ireland and they, they lived through it and came, came on coffin ships and became uh, coal miners in Northeastern Pennsylvania, which was a really difficult life. Many died in the mines. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, the keep at it Riley is how they lived and how they turned, they didn't give up. They gave it over to God and they, their, they held their faith close and that got them through all kinds of scrapes. Mm -hmm. The next thing I want to talk about is you mentioned these parish communities, the, the whole, the whole person uh, care that's being done in, now in California. Let's say that someone is outside of California, uh, but they hear this and it, and it sparks something in them. What kind of, of steps can be taken, maybe just an individual wanting to go and talk to their priest or talk to someone in uh, lay leadership, maybe the parish administrator, to get to a place where they can begin to offer or seek that kind of care uh, for someone in the parish community? Well, like you were saying earlier that, you know, rather than feeling like I'm not an expert in everything, that the to just to be able to um, gather resources together. So like to have a team of people that have have uh, resources that if you need food delivered, if you need, a, a, you know, to find someone that um, uh a doctor that is available. So to connect, make these connections, these connections and, and also the sacraments, these whole person care teams are also there to provide the communion to the sick and to, to see if there's a, someone needs anointing the sick or they need um, a, a spiritual um, prayer together as, as not just the physical needs. So um, I would say um there's some websites I wish I could tell you off my off the top of my head, but a whole person care initiative through the California Conference of Bishops. And also if you, if you email me at noreenmcginnis.com, if you need some resources, I can lead you to that if you want to build that in your parish, uh, if you're back east. And because um, I think that um, there's some ideas out there to be a real benefit to those that are struggling. And we see that that's our, our aging population. We'll have more and more that will be in need of that coming mm -hmm. soon. We're going to put links to that over on our social media, both to her website and then uh, off air. We're going to talk about some of those resources. We'll put those up so that you can access them and look at doing something similar in your parish. Because here's the thing. We'll talk about this when we come back from the break. The need is there. And very often, caregivers feel isolated. They, they, the, the person who is ill feels isolated. The caregiver feels isolated. And the parish community, uh, who we belong to them and they belong to us, it's incumbent upon us to step up, to step out, to offer that care for the body of Christ. The conversation today is with Noreen Madden McInnes. She is the Director of Liturgy and Spirituality for the Diocese of San Diego and has a brand new book, Keep At It, Riley, Accompanying My Father Through Death into Life, available on New City Press. Don't go anywhere. There is much more to this conversation right after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We're here in this Easter season as we're focusing on the resurrection, and we're talking about the end of our earthly lives as we come to participate in that resurrection, and also the end as we accompany our family members through difficult days, through this last Lent and into their joyful Easter. So let's continue the conversation with Noreen Madden-McGinnis. She is the Director of Liturgy and Spirituality for the Diocese of San Diego and has a brand new book on New City Press, part of the Magenta series, which I strongly encourage you to take a look at. We've got links to it on our social media. Uh, The new book is Keep At It, Riley, Accompanying My Father Through Death Into Life. Noreen, thank you again for joining us today. Oh, thank you, T.L. I'm so happy to be with you. So here at the end of the last segment, we were talking about um, the the need as a parish community to go out and to help our parish members to care for those who are dear to them, because it is a an isolating thing uh, to to be a caregiver. So you talked earlier that with your dad and with so many in his generation, there's this idea of I don't want to be a burden on my children. Uh, and so I'm going to do everything I can to to not have to burden them with caregiving. But we do the same thing when we become caregivers and we say, well, I don't want to burden my community with caring for me while I'm trying to care for my father. And so we end up in this really isolated place when part of the fabric of our faith is that we are a family of faith and we are connected to one another. Paul says we are members of one another. So there is there are these programs. We've got links to them over on our social media, things that can be done. But talk a little bit about what your experience was in, um, in finding that support community that allowed you to do things for your father that you otherwise couldn't do, that support community that allowed you to do things for yourself that otherwise you would be unable to do. You know, that was definitely a secret to the success of, of the of good care. Um, I think that uh, it can be so uh, wearing physically, emotionally, and spiritually on a caregiver that I think it's uh, to, to try to take all of it on without offloading or getting respite care uh, is, is, uh, is not the best way. The better way is to just share this this gift of ministering to those that are sick and in in my case um um we we split up responsibilities it kind of funny a a funny story i was trying to uh to i was trying to do it all and i was and shocking i wasn't doing well at it but when i'm like okay i i actually and i'll tell you i'm not the best cook but i i my my bar is low like nobody goes hungry and nobody gets sick but so beyond that, I like, but we had, we had uh, caregivers in the house and from my upbringing, whoever's in the house gets fed. We're all welcome at the table. So um, one, I was starting to get a bit weary and I had this part-time job and I was trying to keep that up and feed and keep it all going. So one morning I'm like, I have this brilliant idea. I'm going to make this turkey meatloaf in the crock pot. This is perfect. I get it all together, shove it in the crock pot and I get to work and I get this text from one of the caregivers. It's like, uh, and Noreen, and I thought, oh no, 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 something's wrong with Frank. But no, 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 it was like, it was, 
did you mean to turn the crock pot on? <laughs> uh, oops, oops. Yeah, I turned the crock pot on. So anyway, I'd like, oh, this is not going well. But all right. Anyway, it should still be done. I get home. I get the turkey meatloaf. I open the turkey meatloaf. We put it out all the places. And uh, my father gives me this look like, what, Noreen, what is this? What is this? I'm like, oh, this is turkey meatloaf, Dad. And he goes, you know, this isn't one of your better ones. <laughs> Maybe we don't keep this in the rotation. I'm like, oh. And then all of a sudden, my husband, Peter, says, Frank, I'll cook for you. And my father's eyes brightened. He says, yeah, what would you like? He goes, oh, oh, my gosh. And I have to say, the bells rang, the angels sang, the gates of heaven opened. There was Peter, my husband, Peter, and Frank every night collaborating on what slabs of meat we're going to have next. <laughs> We had the smoker, the barbecue, everything. We had the coyotes howling at night with all this stuff. So it was wonderful. It was such a gift to my husband to cook for my for my father. That was beautiful. And my sister, the nurse, she came and she stayed with my dad for a week while we went off for like a little vacation because we were getting a little tired. So, so these, these things are so important to, to work together. And, and what a blessing it was for those that, that uh, pitched in and they, they got to share in that, you know, so. The book is Keep At It, Riley, Accompanying My Father Through Death Into Life, available on New City Press. Uh, you, we're talking about caring for our loved ones as part of the Paschal Mystery and entering into that fullness of an, of an understanding of resurrection, uh, the importance of, of self-care, the importance of reaching out to others uh, to ask for help because we need it. Um, but this is the practical aspect of it. And I want to redirect our attention now back to the, um, the spiritual revelations that come from this work. Uh, you now on this end of it, your father's passed away, uh, and you bring us through that journey in the book. Now, what have you learned about Easter and about participating in the Paschal Mystery that you didn't know, not only didn't know, but maybe couldn't know before you walk this journey? I think what, what uh, you know, our, our, our faith teaches that we do believe in the resurrection of the dead and that, you know, in dying, life is not ended. It's just changed. And I feel in a very powerful way that the love of my father and my mother and, and my grandparents are with me in a deeper way. And I look forward to joining them uh, in, you know, when it's my time, when I'm called home by God. So I, um, I think that I'm so grateful for my faith. Uh, I, this, there's a sacrament of communion for the sick in, in a special rite called viaticum. Mm -hmm. Viaticum is the, is you know, the journeying home to God is receiving Holy Communion is the last sacrament. People think anointing of the sick is, but really it's viaticum because mm -hmm. that food that Jesus, the bread is our bread of life, that that's our in, in eating of his body and drinking of his blood that we are promised eternal life. And um, I was able to give my father viaticum and um, in 
in offering that to him, it was a witnessing of faith for all those around us, my children gathered around. And, and I hope that as when it's my time that I'm able to witness my faith too in receiving sacraments, because not, not all, all of those around us have the, the same belief in the resurrection. So I, I say for myself and for those listening that if we can um, celebrate the sacraments when we're sick and, and even you know before that, and just as strong witnesses of our faith, that that uh, that we can just through that alone be be teaching and catechizing those around us about our faith. And to some extent, I would think that it would be prudent to let those around you know that that's important, right? That wherever your family members are, even if they're not in the same place, let them know what your end-of-life desires and plans and cares are so that they know, you know, I've got, I've got written in my phone, like if you if you open it up in emergency mode uh, and to unlock it, the first contact in that emergency mode is um, Catholic, call a priest, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, that, so that right there before even my wife's name, they have that sense of, oh, this is something that is important to this person. If they find me and I'm not near family, that's what I want them to know. I want to communicate in some way that more even important to me than the nearness of my family in an emergency is the nearness of Christ in that moment. And so um, I don't even know all of the different ways that that can be done. Certainly uh, by letting your family know that mass is important, but there, there's, there are many ways. Uh, do you have a few ideas there? Yeah. So actually right now there, there's, um, I bring communion to the sick, some of which the, the family members are no longer practicing Catholics. So, so um, parishioners that bring communion to the home is just an important part of um, ongoing care for our Catholics that are sick. So I think that, um, anyone that has a calling that would like to participate in community to the sick, it's a wonderful ministry. Check your, your parish for that. And also, um, you know, if you're listening and you'd like to have communion brought to your homebound, then uh, call, call the parish and ask, ask for someone to visit. And it's just um, a wonderful, um, and, and, you know, through that, through that, that you're witnessing your faith to those around and that, that can be very powerful to those, to your family members that can be witnessing without belief. And then uh, hopefully that will open their eyes to the Lord. Well, and this is also a participation in the, the ministry of Christ. This is the corporal works of mercy, caring for the needs of those who, who uh, belong to us and we belong to them. Uh, and so if you if you're hearing this and you've never even thought, oh, hey, there are people that can't make it to Mass— and can't receive communion at at the church. If that's news to you, I want to I want to say that this is your call, right? If this is uh, breaking through and you've never had that thought, this is your invitation to call the parish and say, you know, I've never maybe I've never been comfortable being uh, an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion at church. There's more to that role 
than just standing in the front and distributing communion. There's also taking it to those who have no other access, um, maybe specifically because of the, the size of our parishes, the size of our dioceses, and the ratio of parishioners to priests. They're just not a way for a priest to get around to everyone. Oh, and it's um, it's such a beautiful ministry. You know, you feel I often pray to the Blessed Mother who carried Jesus to Elizabeth. And, and so we, we act, you know, like uh, ask Blessed Mother to assist us in our ministry as we carry Jesus to those that are sick. And uh, I said, earlier, it's just like Jairus inviting Jesus into the home to heal his sick daughter. And and Jesus with uh, healing Peter's mother-in-law. But this was Jesus, this was his ministry. And we're just, we're just following in his footsteps. And, and, and his ministry continues on in the sacraments of the church today. And we need, we need more ministers. This we need more. So listening, I encourage you to, to uh, experience the joy of that, that ministry. There's a, a place in the Mass, and this place stands out to me because I am a convert to the faith. And so there was a, a long period of time where I was attending Mass but unable to receive the Eucharist. And the, the host is elevated, and we're instructed and encouraged to behold the Lamb of God. And we say, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. And I felt that prayer so deeply and that longing for connection uh, to the Eucharist. And in moments where I feel uh, incapable or underqualified, uh, or I feel um, in, maybe infirm, maybe I'm in the middle of sickness, which has happened from time to time, those words carry different and stronger meaning. And those moments, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word. There's this understanding that Christ is right there to meet with us, whether we are the caregiver, whether we are the person in need of care. He's right there to meet with us, fully accessible to us. Only say the word and my soul shall be healed. But he heals us in ways that perhaps we wouldn't otherwise expect. Yeah, and and um, you know you have to remember that where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in your midst. So even if you don't have access to the Eucharist, that when you pray with someone else, that Jesus is in your midst there. And um, and I think that's a, another one of those spiritual gifts that you can you can offer those that are are sick or in in suffering and any type of way, any way that, you know, we should be ready as ministers to, to pray with others, to be with them, yeah. to bring Jesus into them. We've been talking today with Noreen Madden McGinnis. She is the Director of Liturgy and Spirituality for the Diocese of San Diego and has written a new book, Keep At It, Riley, Accompanying My Father Through Death Into Life, available right now on New City Press. Noreen, thank you again for taking the time to speak with us. Oh, it's my honor. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. If you missed any part of my conversation with Noreen Madden McKinnis, or you want to go back and listen to it again, or perhaps share it with someone who's going through this difficult season of their own life, 
so that they can benefit from the conversation. Well, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. There's something very powerful about a personal story. So much so that in the book of Revelation, as we're looking at the saints who are gathered around the throne of God, there's a voice that calls out that said, that speaks of them saying, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. We know the power of the blood of the lamb. That's, that's the foundation of our faith, that Christ who endured the cross uh, for us, brought us back into relationship, reconciled us to God. The blood of the lamb is a big deal. But alongside that is also mentioned the word of their testimony. So when we hear someone who has gone through that kind of, um, of an experience and they relay that to us as part of their faith and, and they're able to integrate it as such, it makes a difference. It gives us hope. And as we have this hope in the resurrection, we know that hope does not disappoint. And so I want to encourage you um, to, to share this word of the testimony, whether you're sharing this specific uh, episode with someone who's close to you, or whether you share your own experiences of how the faith has made a difference in your life and how it gave you strength to carry on, that word of your testimony is powerful also. They overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So I want to encourage you in that. Now, if you uh, just can't get enough of these kinds of conversations, well, I also want to let you know that we have extra segments. Each and every week, we continue the conversation uh, after the episode is finished. And we make those extra segments available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. If you want to learn more about our Patreon support community, simply go to OutsideTheWalls.com and look in the top right of the of the navigation bar there on the website and click the Patreon link. It'll take you to the page. You can look through some of the, the segments that are now uh, open to the public, listen to some of those extra segments, get a sense for what those extra segments are like, and consider becoming a part of that Patreon support community. Now let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read scripture in light of church teaching, putting the magisterium at your fingertips by linking the catechism to scripture, to the fathers and doctors of the church, biblical commentaries, so much more. You can take a look at verbum.com. Our reading from scripture today comes from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But... 
in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. That reading comes from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 15. St. Paul knew that this was the central mystery of our faith. Earlier in the same book, he says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So here we see him focusing exclusively on the cross. In the book of Philippians, he also says that, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection of the dead. Paul knows that this is the central mystery, and that without this peace, everything else is in vain. Nothing else makes sense. None of the, the if it's just about behavior modification, if it's just about being a good person, then our faith is in vain. We can do that without this, right? Uh, this mystery of the, the, the resurrection, of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, and of our participation in it is central to everything we believe. And so this during this Easter season, this is the time for us to, to really wrap our arms around the question of the resurrection, to really wrestle with it and to, to seek to understand it and to ask for wisdom that we it may be revealed to us in a deeper way than we have previously known. That this Easter, as we focus on Christ's resurrection, we ask that God would reveal to us something real and true about the resurrection that we will be participating in, in a way that Noreen Madden McGinnis was able to experience by walking her father towards his resurrection. Our reading from church history today comes from the, a reading by St. Augustine uh, on the octave of Easter. This is a sermon that he preached on that octave and that is presented to us in the Liturgy of the Hours every year on that Sunday, that Sunday after Easter. I speak to you who have just been reborn in baptism. My little children in Christ, you who are the new offspring of the church, gift of the Father, proof of Mother Church's fruitfulness. All of you who stand fast in the Lord are a holy seed. 
a new colony of bees, the very flower of our ministry and the fruit of our toil, my joy and my crown. It is the words of the apostle that I addressed to you. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh and its desires, so that you may be clothed with the life of him whom you have put on in this sacrament. All of you have been clothed with Christ in your baptism in him. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. Such is the power of this sacrament. It is a sacrament of new life, which begins here and now with the forgiveness of all past sins, and will be brought to completion in the resurrection of the dead. You have been buried with Christ by baptism into death in order that as Christ has risen from the dead, you also may walk in newness of life. You are walking now by faith, still on pilgrimage in a mortal body away from the Lord. But he to whom your steps are directed is himself the sure and certain way for you. Jesus Christ, who for our sake became man. For all who fear him, he has stored up abundant happiness, which he will reveal to those who hope in him, bringing it to completion when we have attained the reality which even now we possess in hope. This is the octave day of your new birth. Today is fulfilled in you the sign of faith that was prefigured in the Old Testament by the circumcision of the flesh on the eighth day after birth. When the Lord rose from the dead, he put off the mortality of the flesh. His risen body was still the same body, but it was no longer subject to death. By his resurrection, he consecrated Sunday, or the Lord's Day. Though the third after his passion, this day is the eighth after the Sabbath, and thus also the first day of the week. And so your own hope of resurrection, though not yet realized, is sure and certain, because you have received the sacrament or sign of this reality, and have been given the pledge of the Spirit. If, then, you have risen with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your hearts on heavenly things, not the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, your life, appears, then you, too, will appear with him in glory." That reading comes from the, the sermon by St. Augustine that he preached to the new uh, bap, newly baptized on the octave of Easter. And of course, there at the end, he echoes the words of St. Paul in Colossians 3, as we put on our new selves in our baptism, looking toward that hope of resurrection, that we may be like him in all things. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Lexi and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link to learn more. Join the ongoing conversation over on social media as well. Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.